everybody, this is Charlie from After Apps, and you are listening to today's Food Doggle. This is Mark Metcalf, and you are listening to today's Food Doggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. You are listening to today's Food Doggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time. Reformatory with Slipknot, Limp Biscuit, Pantera, plus Full Beat, Megadeth, Lamb of God, In This Moment, Highly Suspect, and more. Hurry and get passes now at incarceration.com. Incarceration. So come and get it. Get it. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And a real quick housekeeping note, if you are watching us on YouTube or Rumble or BitChute or Odyssey, please hit that follow and subscribe button. And if you are listening to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, any of the podcast platforms, please hit that follow and subscribe button so we can continue to bring you the types of conversations I'm about to bring you with my uh, fellow Pisces sister here, Jen City. Yeah, so, that. Well, you know, what's up with you? I'm good. I'm Gucci. Things are things are well. It's great to see you. See you in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to connecting again at the Incarceration uh, Music Festival. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot, lot to lot to catch up on to bring us to that that point. But uh, usually, when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a quick background. So, do you remember originally what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I was growing up? Honestly, it was a race car driver, and that's pretty synonymous with with current current day Jen. But I would say that. Um, it's more so like a motorcycle or electric motorbike or something to go fast in is like, it brings me a tremendous amount of joy, but also for, I was in like in, in third or fourth, I was eight years old. So I'm probably in like in third or fourth grade. And I did a book report of what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I said, I wanted to be a musician when I grew up. And so destiny fulfilled on, on that one so i still need to work on the race car driver a uh, bit there but um but you know knocked out of the park uh, the other things so that's pretty cool yeah for sure and you know what they say the power of put writing it down you know i manifesting I, stuff yeah i i'm i'm really big into journaling and um i started like really being proactive in journaling uh, in in 2019 and like, so I have a journal from year to year to year to year. And it's really fun to go back and read about like the different things I was writing down, like on a daily basis. Um, it helps you keep organized, helps you keep really focused on, on where you want to take yourself. And uh, yeah, it's just a really great thing to 
either look back on and, and, and track and measure like your success and where you want to be. It's been tremendous for me. So and whoever's listening, I, I really recommend journaling and, and writing things down or even getting crazy with it. Write down, you know, a couple goals on a daily basis, write them down twice a day, once in the morning and once um, at some point in the afternoon or evening. And um, you get to reap the rewards of that because then you get to see your progress and, you know, it consistency compounds, right? So exactly. So yeah. It's exciting to see where you can take yourself. And then, so, uh, you know, what drew you to uh, music? Like, you know, what inspired you to write that in your journal? And then uh, what was like some of the early music that uh, caught your ear? Yeah, it was absolutely, my parents had everything, absolutely everything to do with that. My mom told me that when she was pregnant with me, that she actually put headphones on her stomach when she was pregnant with me. And I asked her, I said, well, what were you listening to? And she was like, I listened to a lot of Janis Joplin. I listened to a lot of Jimi Hendrix. And I was like, oh, this makes a tremendous amount of sense. So, and, and you know, my mom is a singer and, and she's a poet. She's an incredible writer, actually. And, and my father loves music. He has a huge vinyl collection. I think he has over 8,000 pieces of vinyl. I mean, it's nuts uh, what, what this guy has. So music is just, I mean, literally from inception to being a, a grown adult, it's just been such a huge, huge part of my life. So it was, I think what, what drew me to it, especially was being able to express yourself in, in a way that's different than any other medium that you can use or any other way. Um, Believe it or not, I, I when I was younger, I was kind of a shy kid. And I think music helped break me out of that. And it helped me express myself in a different way. And then I learned, like, I had the power of presenting. I had the power of speaking. You know, when I spoke, people did listen because I wasn't always chitty chatty the whole time. And then I think it really helped me become extroverted in a sense uh, to what I am today. Because there's no question I'm extroverted. I'm pretty friendly. I'll chitty chat with anybody and I, I, get, I get after it. But um, I was a pretty, a pretty shy kid when I was younger, but I, I really, I, I really think that music helped break me out of that because it was just a, a, a way to express myself. And it was just like this, like if something was going on and there was a feeling that I needed to get out, I can get that out via music and, or music was very comforting uh, for me. So, I mean, it's just, it's been a, a tremendous part of my life and obviously still is you know, and forever will be no, no doubt about that. Right. The, the love of it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go away. Um, not just because all. I'm not on, on tour all the time or anything re ridiculous like that. I think I, I poured some of the best years of my life and will continue to pour some of the best years of my life into music. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just been a tremendous gift for me. Nice. And then do you remember when it was that you decided to start like uh, learning music and writing your own and playing? Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was beating on the pots and pans in the kitchen. My dad said when I it was like two three years old, and they started noticing like I was on rhythm, and they were like, "Holy smokes, we got you know we we, we have to encourage this." Um, I think of a real pivotal moment that I really do remember is when I was younger um, and staying my summers with with my grandmother and my aunt in Puerto Rico and in Humacao, and my grandmother 
you know, has this gorgeous piano that was, that was like in her garage. And I would, I would play it. And I just consistently every day, I would go out there. I would play it for hours until like we were going on a beach or we were going on bike rides or, you know, play with my cousins or other kids in the neighborhood and all that good stuff. And just sit there for hours. And like the neighbors started coming over, like it became this thing, right? Everybody was just hearing me play. And then I remember my grandmother was like, you know, she's really got something. We should get her lessons. And I remember like getting locked up about that. And I told my aunt, I was like, I just want to sit and play. I just want to sit and play. So my aunt was, my aunt was like, just let her do her thing and all that good stuff. And um, again, I'm probably was like maybe seven years old, seven, six, seven years old. I mean, I was, I was definitely a young kid. And I was like, gosh, you know, and then I started my cousin, he started introducing me to, he's the, he's the reason I just absolutely fell in love with metal from out of the gate. He introduced me to Iron Maiden. Um, and then that was, it was like Iron Maiden, Metallica, uh, Agnostic Front. I, it was game over from there. Cro-Mags just literally game over and um, just fell in love. And, and fell, you know, thanks to my pops, my mom, and really him introducing me to the heavier end of things. Like it was, it was game over. And then I really knew, like, when I went to one of my first shows, I was like, that's what I want to do on stage. I want to make, it was like a wild hardcore show. I was like, I want to go on stage and make people feel like that. Like, cause the whole, like, it was just the killer mosh pit, just like, what a fun shit show. Awesome. Like just, tons of energy in the room and I remember just being an impressionable teen like oh my god oh my god oh my god and being like wow I want to do that when I grow up like I want I want to be able to invoke that kind of emotion from people and make people feel something um and yeah so it was definitely like my early teens but I it was it was like swimming around in my head when I was younger than that and what was like the uh, music scene like when you were growing up in your area? Oh, I mean, it was incredible. I lived in the Washington D.C. area. I lived in the New York New York City area. Um, traveled back and forth. I mean, it was the best of the best. Being able to see Cro-Mags in the heyday, Agnostic Front in their heyday, um, Biohazard, which you know eventually later on in my career, you know, became a part of my career, and um, and working with Billy Grazia Day. And oh my God, a 930 club in Washington, DC, um, the OG 930 club when it was on Epp Street, not, not in the location it's at now, even though that place is gorgeous, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I, you know, living on the East Coast where I was between New York City and, and Washington, DC, man, I had access to like literally everything, everything. Everybody was trying to play both those places, you know, New York City, of course, being a hotbed of talent. And not for nothing, Washington D.C. absolutely had some 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 incredible talent out of there as well, especially some standout musicians. So it, it was. I mean, damn, you asking that question, it makes me feel really grateful because I just like that was really easy to go see, like go see Typo Negative. Well, we're going to go see Typo Negative tonight. Oh, sick, awesome. We're going to Coney Island. Hi. Okay, great. We're going to go see Life of Agony. Go tear it up. Okay, wonderful. That makes me happy. That's great. You know, like it, it was as easy as that. So it was um, definitely living in the locations where I lived at the time growing up uh, really offered really unique opportunities to see incredible bands, 
either at their very beginning and or in their heyday. Nice. And then when was it that uh, you uh, put your first band together and started playing out? Oh, my God. I had my very first band was called Confront Fear. There's a little just it's like th three of us, um, like a little little, you know, prong wannabe three piece. And um, I think we might have played like some high school band kind of crap thing. Uh, but my more getting serious of like, okay, I know what I want to achieve. I know what I want to do was a band called Open Defiance. Um, Chris Britton was my singer. Uh, Dave Dominguez was one of my guitarists to start with. And I actually tried out for the band. And, and then from there, we went to the moon because I, I've been studying business since I was like a, a little kid. It's a passion of mine being able to you know, identify your audience and market to them and sell to them. Um, it's a strong point that I have today. That's also what I, I do for a career now and, and have been successful in doing. So I really cut my teeth on doing that really early when it came to bands. So I would, man, I was, gosh, I was so shameless. I love it. But, you know, I would be chatting and trying to meet up with different A&R folks. I would meet with different manager managers or people who thought they were managers at the time. And then of course, real managers yeah, of, yeah. Um, you know, what should I be concerning myself with? What's important? What moves the needle on a band? Like, what are we doing here? And then I just really became a promo queen of just, you know, designing flyers, getting them out, going to different shows, flyering the living daylights out of it. At the time, I mean, this is a while, like now this is a long time ago. So if I could pass out like CDs, I would. And then, you know, MP3s came a thing. I would buy like USB things and put music on it and hand it over to people. I was always trying to be ahead of the curve when it came to things like that and try to just do really, really unique things. Um, I went to a lot of different events and supported a ton of different bands. I mean, you could always count on me showing up to your show, supporting your show, buying merch, being in the front, or at least being there, bringing people with me, and and having a really great time. And it was like that kind of mentality. And always, I, I looked at it as a community as well. And I think that was uh, a little bit of a different vibe than, say, others, because obviously, you know, people want to serve their own purposes. I, of course, did too, man. I wanted everyone to know who the band, the, the band, whatever band I was in, I wanted them to know who they were. I wanted them to know who I was. And I wanted to like be a leader out there and being like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to promote. I know how to work with promoters. Hell, I know how to promote my own show. I know how to book my own shows. I know how to book my own tours. I know how to get the word out and like, since I'm 10,001 years old, I was taking advantage of all things social media and the internet, like out of the gate, especially with my band Spine. A perfect example is that we ended up on a TV show called Farm Club on the USA Network. And for that particular show, we met, we, Drain was on that show. Oh no, pardon me, not Drain, Disturbed, sorry. Disturbed was on that show met Eminem that day and Queens of the Stone Age was out on that show. And actually that's where I met the girls from Kitty and that's how our relationship started and, and, and met Dave Lander, may he rest in peace, started having conversations with him and they were having some issues internally. And I was like, I'm your girl. 
I'm literally your person. I'm who you need to have in the band. And, um, and it was a great time. So I know that's a, a, a long story to, to, to go there, but um, hopefully that, that makes some sense. And No, that was good because I was going to try and lead to that, but you, you covered it for me. And I was, just, uh, it, I was just hanging out with Matt Pinfield this weekend, and we were talking about the Farm Club days and how innovative that show was. Yeah, you know? it, it really was. I mean, that was, that was a game changer because the band Spine, I mean, we, we ended up on that show because we were, we were number one week over week over week over week. Uh, for this one song called Goner. I mean, nobody else out there, you know, the brainchild of Homeboy from Geffen and Homeboy from Interscope. I mean, it was, it had a, it was a really unique show. It had a really great run. They had their own record label. Um, actually, our friend Sev from the Washington, D.C. area, they were, I think, the very first band to sign with that particular label. And um, it was really unique. It was definitely a unique time, but if, um, Man, if it was if if I was just up and running in the game now, boy, I would have my myself and my band all over TikTok, all over IG, uh, whatever is left of Facebook. I'm not a, a huge fan, but you know, some people are still on there, and that's fine. If there's an audience, you know, you should be in front of them wherever it, platform it is. But like to me now, it is it is so advantageous to the artists to be. They have such power like to me my opinion before it was like you did have to lean on the label and you did have to lean on that particular on that particular team and when I was coming up that was becoming less and less and less because you could start building those relationships on your own you could start working with you know say TuneCore was one of the larger ones what was one of the early ones to where you could have your own distribution um, you didn't necessarily, everything was going digital. You didn't necessarily have to have physical copy, although it's great to have when you're at shows because people still, and to, to be fair to this day, people still want to buy that. They yeah. want to own a little piece outside of just buying a shirt. They want, they might want to have like a, a physical copy of something that they hold themselves and, or, um, just have something really unique that you only offer at your shows and maybe don't offer anywhere else, like say your websites or, uh, you know, whatever social platforms that you're on. But man, uh, these days I'm just so, so impressed with like, there's, it is hard work though. I, I don't want to take away from that. It is hard work to all this content you got to plan out and all this content you got to do and edit and all that good stuff and then get it out there. I mean, it's a, it's, it's absolutely a full-time job, but isn't that the job you want? Yeah. You know, that's the job you want, right? You want to be successful in that realm. You got to put in the work. It is not a fucking like be lazy on your ass kind of vibe. I've met so many incredible musicians from being out on the road so much and then hosting and working with Dan Jansen, hosting all of these shows across the country and meeting all these talented acts. Um, and then some really standout musicians, and then some of them wonder, why am I not getting to the next level? It's like, you're not putting in the, the extra work. If you think a label is going to come discover you when you are, you know, doing a, maybe a show a month and kind of just out of your mama's basement, they're not going to come. They're not going to come there just because you're you write sick riffs or you write great songs or you look badass on stage. You might, you know, draw some curiosity, but that's about it. you got to put in the work. So you can yeah. get the dividends, you can get the payoff in the end. But to me now, like the ball is really 
in the artist court, you don't need any of this label. You could literally blow up online yourself and you have Spotify, you have Apple, you have all of these streaming platforms that you can be on, pay a small fee for distribution, go ahead and if you want to have CDs available for people to buy, they'll fucking buy it if they love you and have really cool merchandise. That's what they're looking for to help support you. But outside of that, man, so much is in your control when in the past, it was very much of like, all right, we got to get the physical copy sales up. All right, we got to get the te- the marketing team behind it. You can be the marketing team now, or you can work with agencies that can help you out. Um, but you got to find the right ones. But I don't know. You have to me. You have so much more control now. It's just really exciting. When I talk to young artists, I, I always make sure that they're on that trip, and and they're like, oh, I got to do this and that. I'm like, yeah, it's work. <laughs> It's it's going to be work. It's not a free ride, baby. Yeah, it was the hustle back in the day, you know, taking the fly, printing the flyers and taking them, pinning them up all over to get people to come out to your show. Yeah, they just think putting a setting up an event on Facebook is enough, you know. So hard, please, you know. I mean, (laughs) I'm not not dissing that. That's not important. It absolutely is. You should be doing that. I could set up an event in in three to five minutes on Facebook. Come on. You know, but half the time, the maybes are just a uh, polite way of saying, no, I'm not interested, you know? <laughs> exactly. And you shouldn't count on that. You should be going yeah, supporting. Not at all. You should be a member of your community. You should be going out and supporting whatever you got going on in your area. That's how you're going to get the people to show up. Exactly. And then you had uh, touched on, you know, how you uh, gotten involved with Kitty. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to share a little bit about what that experience was like for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a fairly good one. Uh, we, again, we met at, at a farm club and that was, you know, they did their thing, um, you know, speaking with their manager. Um, a couple months later, I'm seeing them in Washington, D.C. And then at that particular show, it's like, hey, I'm going to send you a set list. Hey, I'm going to do that. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, we could talk about this. We could go through this. And then met with the girls at South by Southwest uh, when it was still definitely more oriented around music. Now it's definitely like a, a, a tech fiasco with some music involved, which is super dope. Um, and they offered me the job over a steak dinner on my birthday. So like there was a tremendous amount to celebrate. I was over the moon thrilled. Um, I'll forever be a big fan of Kitty. And I was, obviously I was, I was a huge fan. Then I was like, Oh my God, finally an all female metal group. Hell yeah. You know, was, I, I just love them out of the gate and then getting to know them. And remember this is like 20 years ago now. So it's, um, it's been, it's been cool to reconnect with them to do. Uh, we did a reunion show a few years ago in London, Ontario, sold out. It was an incredible evening, awesome experience. It was great to be on back on stage. It was great to play with Tara on stage. I, I particularly enjoyed that. Um, and see everyone, and, you know, everyone had grown up in that time frame because, you know, the, the girls were, were quite young when I, while I was in the band. And then, like, this time out, you know, to do the reunion and, of course, to film the documentary – it was a great experience, man. I can't, yeah, I can't knock it. It was really cool. And I think it's tremendous that we were able to even do something like that. It was funny because I was chatting with, you know, friends of mine who, who've been in large bands 
uh, whether they're still in them or they're not in them anymore. And they were like, how did all of you get back together? And then there was no issues. I was like, we just did, man. If you wanted to be there, that means you gave a shit. If you didn't want to be there, that means you didn't want to be there. You know? Yeah. And that's how I see it. And you didn't give a shit to want to be there. And that's fine. But um, yeah, that's it was a great... For me, you're asking me, I enjoyed the experience. It was great. I think the world of the girls, I, I'm loving that they're they're out there doing shows again. I think that's awesome. I don't think the story is done. And I think they, they're still holding the torch of, you know, being all female metal band, notorious out there, you know, just, just go out there and get after it. I love seeing it. Um, and I'm super excited for them. Nice. Yeah. And then, so uh, when did uh, uh, Suicide City become? Well, Suicide City, now that's a fun story. Um, that got birthed actually, um, I'm towards the latter part of, of its inception because because Billy had been working with a, a band called the Groove Nicks from they're based out of I, I think West Palm Beach somewhere in Florida South, South Florida I I, I, I uh, you know my memory is a little hazy from those days but uh, he was working with them or I believe him and Evan were working with them they were recording them pr producing them and and Billy and I had known each other forever and. He was like, hey, we we played a show together when Biohazard first got together uh, for the first time of like OG lineup. Uh, they played Hellfest and Kitty, we actually headlined either the first or second day of Hellfest when it was in Jersey, when they, they still had that going on. And and him and I were shooting the shit while we were there. And he was like, you know, I got something that would be awesome if we could work together on. He goes, I got this really unique singer I'm working with and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you know what? Send me the music and, uh, and we'll talk. And, uh, and we hang out that day. It was a good vibes. It was great to see him. They crushed it. It was just so exciting to be like, oh my God, Biohazard's back. Like it was just, oh man, it was so fucking cool. And this is like, um, gosh, to maybe 2003, 2004. It was somewhere in there. And, so that was super exciting. We And then we link up. He sends me the music and I, I don't like it at all. In fact, I was just like, you know, like, what is that? I was so shocked of like how different it was. I was expecting like definitely something heavier. And I was so busy at the time with Kitty. We were touring nonstop. We were gearing up. Uh, we were already writing um, until the end at the time. And uh, we were actually just finishing up some demos, you know, going up to London, Ontario, working through some new material, learning that and, and getting ready to go into the studio. And um, I was like, I had such amount, a mass amount of respect for, for Billy, of course. Now, uh, you know, as a, as a human being, a producer, songwriter, all that good stuff. And I was like, man, I am. Um, how am I going to tell him? I just cannot. I, this is like not my thing. And uh, I, to be honest, I'm woman enough to admit, like I was not returning phone calls and I was like, I don't know about this, man. Like I, I, I got to get my story together. Plus I was, I was nonstop busy. Like even when I got home, it was like, maybe I would be home for a couple days and rest. And then I'm, you know, doing other things. I, I'm also paying attention to my family and like that side of my life. And um, I got a phone call at like 4.30 in the morning. 
my phone continuously is ringing, ringing, ringing. And then I got, a, and then finally someone left a voicemail and I, and I read the, listened to the voicemail and it was like, if, and it's Carl, he's hammered out of his mind. And he's like, if, if you don't join this band, you're fired. <laughs> and it was so hysterical that I called him back the next day. And I was, Hey, I was like, Hey, look, I'm going to be really honest with you. I would love to work with you, but these three songs you sent me, I was like, I cannot get into this. This is not something I would be interested in working on. I just, it's, it's really hard to, it's hard to say no to you, man. I would love to work with you, but this is not my vibe. And he was like, well, that's exactly why we need you around. We need you to come in here and make this heavy and, and make this happen. I thought that was a really clever answer. And then, and then we got together and I got to hear like newer material. And I was like, okay. Okay. And then I was getting more involved in the process. And, um, and then we, we all hung out in the city one night just to kind of, so for me to, you know, I didn't know Carl very well. He was a Florida guy. Um, AJ was um, some fill-in guitarist for the Groove Knicks and he, I, he was going to be a package deal along with Carl. Um, Danny had been crushing it here in the New York City area, incredible drummer. And it looked like when we all got together, like there was there was like instant cool vibes with us. Like we were all different from each other. But when we got together and played, that was it. The room was fucking absolutely electric. It was so, so special that I was like, all right. All right. OK, so this is this is a thing. This is a vibe. Uh, our material started getting more into the heavier territory um, but, but the soundscape of it was like really changing and, and like, that was really exciting for me. And plus I was able to like really contribute to that. And I don't know, it was like, we were a band. It wasn't a project. In fact, I would anytime in interviews, Oh, how about your other project? I'll be like, it's a band. I understand you may think it's a project, but we're, we are linked like a band and the vibe was Project, I've worked on projects. Projects were very different than what was happening with Suicide City. It was organic. It was special. It captured a moment in time. And it, we were just really unique. We Not only did we talk the talk, we walked the walk. Like, we were sex, drugs, and rock and roll for real. <laughs> like, we embodied it. Um, and we didn't even really talk about it. We just were it, right? Um whether or not to our detriment uh, is, is, you know, could be up for discussion, but w I loved my time with Suicide, Suicide City. I do not regret a second of it. Um, I, I wish it could have worked out to where I could have been in both bands comfortably at the same time, but um, people had feelings about particular things and it didn't seem like me working on with another band seemed very welcome. So I made a decision and um yeah, it was awesome. No, no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit with the, you know, how, how the band ran and, uh, you know, some of the uh, haziness of uh, recalling certain events and stuff. And you've been pretty open, uh, you know, publicly. Something else we share in common is both being in recovery. Yes, sir. Um, uh, care to talk about, uh, you know, coming into recovery and you know how much it has changed your you know outlook and and just your 
your focus and everything on life? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm so glad we'll, we're touching upon it. So I'm five years sober. To me, wow. undoubtedly, one of the best decisions I ever made for myself, at, at, like hands down. Um, and, and the thing is, it wasn't like a tragic event in the sense of, oh my God, I had a blackout and I, I did all these terrible things. It wasn't that, but it was just a succession of events. And then just one day being like, you know, I don't want to be at a certain age sitting at the bar being at one of the last people to leave. Like this ain't cute, you know, and I don't like two day hangovers. This sucks. Um, and it was making me sick and it was changing my body. Like, it's just like, it, it, it wasn't aligned. It, it wasn't working with me. It was working against me. And, um, I did lose someone very close in my life that that passed away due to his alcoholism. And it broke my heart in more ways than one. And I would say that was definitely like the nucleus, the driving factor. Um, but it was also like just, just that succession of events. Like it wasn't one real like fucking rager that I ruined my life and other people's lives. It was like this slow, steady, like, I'm not having a good time. This is not sustainable. Yeah. Like, you know, years ago, it was like live fast, die pretty. And now it's like grateful to get older, embrace getting older, see it as a gift. See, it, I'm so grateful for it every fucking day. I'm grateful for it and stepping more into a golden era. And professionally, um, I never let any of, of my extracurricular activities impact what I do professionally. But I did notice that like my professional career just shot through the moon. Like I was, I would been doing, cons you know, business consulting gigs that were just like absolutely insane managing large sales teams that are just seeing incredible success, teaching other salespeople how to sell um, doing business development, sales development. Um, it's currently what I'm doing now for for a global uh, SaaS company uh, that will be IPOing soon. Hopefully, I shouldn't even say that, so I didn't say that at all. Um, you know, that's always wishful thinking. So there you go. Um, but long story short, it 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 just changed my focus. It changed my mindset and it got me thinking like beyond, right? It got me thinking beyond like what happens next. It's like, I, I want to be old as shit, healthy as shit. I want my mind to be so sharp. Like, my grandmother, she's 97 years old. She just turned 97. She is like the, the you know, her little, she's like a community leader in, in her community. The phone is ringing at 11 at night, people calling, you know, to, to chitty chat with her and update her on whatever's going on. Like, she's so sharp. And I'm like, man, I'm not even at a halfway point in my life yet. <laughs> Holy smokes. Like, I'm just getting started, you know. So sobriety gave me the gift of clarity, the continued gift of gratefulness. I had always been really grateful. And I like to think I, I'm not an asshole. I'm pretty direct, but I'm, 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 you know, I, I lead, I try to lead with a lot of empathy and understanding, but um, it just, it, it just, to me, it just, it's given me so much, man. And I, you know, I don't want to sound preachy or anything like that, but I'm, I'm definitely very open about being sober 
And I've had a lot of people over the years come to me and be like, hey, I heard you talking about that. And it encouraged me to check it out. Or, hey, I am now a year sober because I saw an interview or I met you somewhere when you were talking about it. Or I follow your IG and, and you're putting up these positive videos and, and you know, yeah. peppering it in here and here and there. But that's it's been it's been such a gift. And I see it as a gift. And, I, and I'm grateful for the gift. Hey, Amen. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, this year has been 14 years for me. Oh, my God. And, Incredible. Incredible. You know, the relationships now, you know, before they were just like surface level. It's just like because I was a very selfish and self-centered person and I would, you know, numb to because of social anxiety and stuff like that. So I never really got deep with people since I've been sober and being transparent about it and open. Like you said, I've had so many people feel comfortable opening up about their struggles with me. I've formed so many relationships with so many people in, in the music industry now, you mm -hmm. know, that uh, are in the same walking the same journey. And now we're, we're like, you know, there's a there's a brotherhood people that I never that before I'd be like God I, I want to get on their guest list or whatever whatever selfish and self centered relationship I wanted with these people it's authentic and organic and real now because we're all just a bunch of guys trying to keep each other sober yeah know? it's been it, amazing it's a, it's amazing like again well one congratulations that's incredible and yeah and like it's it's such a gift and it's so great that you're able to share that gift you know with your brothers and sisters that you get yeah. to meet and being like yeah man and and, and the best part is my relationship with my daughters today too you know oh, being yeah. a girl dad you know and uh um you know Matt Pinfield's very open about his recovery and that's something me and him bonded on is uh we both are 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 girl dads you know, and, you know, here's the encyclopedia of music and I'm hanging out with him and I could ask him any question about any kind of musician. He'll have a story. But we're talking about our daughters and being dads, like the real stuff, you know, the good stuff. Yeah. The good and, stuff. Uh, you know, our, our mutual friend Dan Jansen could tell you stories about me back in the day. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and, and, and grateful to still be here. Like you said, it's that attitude of gratitude every day now. Every know? day. Every day. I'm so grateful because there's times I look back and it's like, wow, um, probably shouldn't be alive, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. whoa. Um, so, yeah, the, the gratefulness. And I agree on the relationship parts. Um, having healthier relationships has definitely been a fantastic payoff. And, and having the relationships be more authentic versus just meeting up to go party. And that's really just it. And people, you know, want to be partying with you and all this, like everything is, is, is solidified and real and authentic. And, and you feel what you feel too. And you got to like go through the paces and, and address that because there's yep. different things that will unearth when you step into sobriety that, that, but that's, that's why you, you lean on people for. And, yeah, and still 14 years later and more will be revealed. And there are some of those old triggers of shame and guilt will come up. But now I can at a place where I can make amends to a lot of people that I've wronged back in the day, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, try and make living amends. Be there. Be my word means things today. My mom can count on me today. You know, mm -hmm. I had a great relationship with my dad before he passed, you know, mm -hmm. and it's uh it, those are the gifts that continue to keep coming, wor working this this program. I had a great, awesome weekend with my my youngest daughter came with me to, to Sonic Temple, got to hang out with Dan and 
a bunch of our friends down there and meet Matt and everything. It was just incredible, you know. That's amazing. Matt's a great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Love that dude. And speaking of our buddy Dan Jansen, you know, one of the things that we we wanted to to hit on uh, why I had you on is to talk mm -hmm. about the upcoming Incarceration Music Festival and and your uh, role at at this year's festival. That's kind of been a recurring role, but I want to talk about getting involved with with Dan and 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 this festival and and what you're doing this year. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, unfortunately, I got to wrap it up after this, but. Um, it's thrilled. I, it's either my fifth or sixth year hosting. It's somewhere in there. I was trying to figure it out. I literally can't remember because I know one year I was unable to make it and it's actually the year which, which super sucks. Um, and we're supposed to have Gen City play one of the side stages. But regardless, um, how it came about was was exactly that. You know, you know, I've been working with, with Dan Jansen for, gosh, well over a decade uh, and being, I would say, a business partner along with him and hosting different events that he would do. We have traveled the the, the country together, I don't know how many times, and um, and hosting for Exposed Music Festival, uh, Slave to the Metal, uh, along with Julia as well. We were the two different hosts for that particular festival. And when he had the opportunity to, to get this started, I was one of the first people he reached out and was going to have Gen City play. And but beyond playing, he said, hey, there's a tattoo portion to this that I think you would be a fantastic host for. And I was like, you know, tag me in, brother, like loop me into that. I, I'm absolutely interested. And and we did it. It was oh, oh, the, the first time I, I got in to be able to host it. It was wild. It was under this tiny tent and a lot of papers and nowhere near as organized as it is today. Um, but it's been great to see how it's progressed over the years. And then last year, I would say I definitely stepped into more so the role of a host, in my opinion, because we actually have incredible artists as judges for the past couple of years and to where I'm able to now really step in and help organize the part of getting people up, getting different things announced, being sure that you know, the awards are going out, how the flow of the show goes and to be able to like shout out these artists and then show off the great work that they're doing and then remind folks like, hey, this is a tattoo and music festival. Be sure that you're visiting these incredible artists, connecting with them at minimum, at least stopping by their booth, checking out their artwork, get on their mailing list or grab their card, add them on IG, you know, get connected with them because, hey, listen, that might be your next uh, incredible piece of artwork as somebody that you're meeting there at Inc. So it's, um, yeah, it, it really, it, it was Dan Jansen like, hey, I think you're a fantastic host for this. I said, brother, tag me in. Let's talk about it. Did it. And, and I've been doing it since. And it's, it's awesome because um, on a personal side, I get to see friends of mine. I know I'll get to see them at least once a year at yep. Inc. And, and I love that. And then, of course, able to catch up with bands that I've been friends with for, gosh, you know, close to two decades now and and see them, see them perform, catch up with them and, and all that good stuff. So it, it's a blast. I'm, you know, every year, man, they keep knocking it out of the park with the damn lineup. Like it is crazy for this year. 
But um, yeah, I, I always look really forward to it. I've met some incredible people because of it. And I'm grateful for and could call them my friends. And I just appreciate Dan so much that he even thought of me in the first place. There's, you know, other people he could have reached out to as a host. But um, he thought of me and, you know, we've been doing it to it since. Yeah, great guy. You know, um, you just reminded me, we, we got to have to do a, a part two sometime because you just oh, reminded me with that tag me in uh, line that you're a huge wrestling fan, which I am as well. And we could talk probably do a whole podcast day, about that as All well. Day. But uh, thank you so much for your time, Jen. I really appreciate it and look okay. forward to seeing you at incarceration this year. And uh, real quick, before I let you go, you mind do me one last favor? What you need? Uh, cut a promo ID for the show. Just introduce yourself. And you're listening to today's boondoggle. What is good? It's your homegirl, Jen City, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle podcast. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much for your time. You are great so welcome. Catching up and see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for your service. This is awesome. I love your setup and dig what you do, man. Very cool. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you. Take care. All right, man. Cheers. <laughs>